He is, you know. Oh, and there! Brilliant! Wonderful run from Giggs! Sensational goal from Ryan Giggs! Still John Barnes, Collymore closing in! Welcome to the 90s Football Hall of Fame, a podcast brought to you by thefootballfaithful.com. I'm Steve McGovern and I'll be your regista for this episode. I'm joined by our holding midfielder, Peter Henry. How are you, Peter? Evening, lads. And our flying fullback, Anthony Kelly. How are you, Ant? How's it going, lads? Every week we induct a new face into the 90s Football Hall of Fame. And this week's nominee not only scored Aston Villa's first goal in the Premier League, but he also won the first match of the day goal of the season award of the Premier League era as well. Daly and Atkinson, he's done well, he's got uh, Saunders away to his right, but he's got a bit of a run on here, Atkinson, it's a great run, now what about the finish, oh that's not bad either, a masterpiece from Daly and Atkinson. It is none other than the late, great Dalian Atkinson, the Telford-born striker who lined out for Sheffield Wednesday, Real Sociedad, Aston Villa and Man City, among others. Now, before we do anything, lads, we have to talk about that goal, which surely has to be the thing he's he's just about most well known for. You know exactly the goal I'm talking about, Peter. The goal he scored against Wimbledon that won the, the first ever goal of the season in the inaugural Premier League season and, and a goal that would stand up against any other, really. And, and a goal that a great, like really showcases just how, how talented Daly and Atkinson was on his day. You know, he gets the ball deep in his own half, dribbles past a couple of fellas with skill, bounces another couple off. He's dribbling with his left foot, with his right foot, gets up to about five, six yards away from the box. And then the vision, the composure and the technique to just beautifully dink the ball over the goalkeeper. He times it so well. It comes down and bounces even before you know before the line. Um, and there's actually a brilliant photo that I only came across when I, when I was researching the pod that you don't really see when you see the clip. Is that after he scored, Dean Saunders, who he actually struck up a brilliant strike partnership with at Aston Villa, jumps on his back and a fan comes over and hands them an umbrella. And Dean Saunders, <laughs> Atkinson is, is, is walking along, and Dean Saunders on his back holding up an umbrella on him so he doesn't get wet. It's, not, it's a brilliant photo. But, um, yeah, a, a truly an, an iconic goal that I think all Premier League fans of a certain vintage remember. And then I think all Premier League fans will have also seen that goal many, many a time. A, a, a true classic. Yeah, I think if, if he had done nothing else for Aston Villa, that would have put him into you know their own Hall of Fame. But of course, you know he had many other memories as well. But that one really, you know, stands out as just such an unbelievable goal. I mean, it's really up there with with the best we've ever seen in the in the Premier League, and the celebration as well. I love because he he has this knowing look when he turns to the Aston Villa fans as if he he just knows he scored one of the all time great goals, and he's just like, well, what do you think of that? I remember when I was a when I was a kid, I had this video, and it um, it was of the first Premier League season. I think it was a hundred great goals 
from the first ever Premier League season. I, I must have watched that clip over and over again. And just as, just being a, a young kid, just sort of falling in love with that kind of mazy run. It was probably the first one I ever saw of a player just taking everybody on, getting the ball from right deep in his own half and just sort of slalom and pass people on the pitch like they weren't there. It's just audacity to chip Sagers because like, he's not even that far off his line, Sagers, as well. It, it's a really, really top-class bit of composure to finish it off. I, I think what I love about it is uh, Wimbledon used to get loads of stick when you were in the Premier League for playing in front of really low gates. And again, it, it's a goal of its time because if you look at it, the replays, the stands are half empty. The pitch is a quagmire, you know. And this, it's just the, the Villa fans are probably outnumbering the home supporters because obviously Wimbledon were ground share and Crystal Palace. And it, it's a goal really of its time. And it, it stands sort of stands up against anything that you'd see in the modern era. It's an absolutely brilliant goal. I didn't really get to watch Dane Atkinson all that much. He was just slightly too early for me. I think he left Villa in 1995. And that's only really when I started paying attention uh, to football really properly. But I just wonder, like, why hasn't this goal like been shown like all the time? Like after it was scored, maybe it was just because it was Villa and it wasn't one of the big clubs. But I, you know, he's lucky in a sense because if that goal had happened a year earlier, you know, the whole thing of football didn't exist before 1992. You know, it might not have the same cachet really. But for people like me who who didn't get to witness Atkinson uh, live, what type of player was he, Peter? He, he was a player that had absolutely everything. You know, around about that period, kind of 1993 would have been really when I started to have very strong, vivid memories of football. Really started, I'm a Man United fan, obviously. You know, Man United and Villa were gunning it out for, for the league in the 92-93 season. And I remember being really, being in awe of Daly and Atkinson and also being afraid of him because he, he had the ability to do things like that goal. Like, there were several other times he, he, he got the ball deep in his half and would run the whole pitch and no one could touch, touch him. He Like, he was a lethal finisher. There's some other goals he scored. There's an outside of the boot one against West Ham. There's a a finish from the edge of the box against Sheffield Wednesday, both in off the crossbars, just thunderbolts. Um, like I said, struck up a, a great strike partnership with, with Dean Saunders. But like I really, you know, in terms of physique, in terms of skill, in terms of finishing ability, he, he really had it, had it all. And it's, it's kind of just, it, it's definitely a career of, of unfulfilled potential, I would say, because on his day, um, he was he was absolutely superb, and I suppose maybe a little bit unlucky that he kind of came along in a time that there was so many good English centre forwards in the in the early to mid nineties. You know, you had Shearer, Fowler, Ferdinand, Sheringham, so there wasn't as much need for people to, to invest in him because there were other great players around but I, I very vividly remember as a child that on his day he, he was about as good as it got in the Premier League at that time definitely and again I'm only going by highlights you know that, that definitely is a team of when he you know will drop into midfield and win the ball himself and all of a sudden he's darting at the defence with the ball and I mean he's quite he's got quite a long stride he seems quite lanky but he also has you know, really deft touch, composure. Again, you know, I'm wondering why didn't the uh, you know this guy you know scale amazing heights, and I'm I'm sure we'll we'll touch more on that as as this discussion goes on. But to go onto the early days of his career, he started at Ipswich Town in 1985, but he actually didn't score 
for the club until February 1988, at which point he had already been transfer listed only to score a brace in a 3-2 win at Barnsley. And he went from there to Sheffield Wednesday, where he scored a famous hat-trick against Middlesbrough. And from there, he takes an interesting turn in his career, where he goes to Real Sociedad. And it's kind of like a monumentous time in, in Real Sociedad's history, that whole sort of late 80s, early 90s time, because... They'd, uh, they'd been champions of Spain in the early 80s and they, they always were a grand old club of Spanish football. But there's there's an argument and it, it still sort of divides their fan base to this day as to whether they should, you know, they should just be a, a Basque club and, you know, only for locals. And that there is still a very strong feeling that that should be the case. But they were opening up a little bit at that time. And obviously John Aldridge had gone there from Liverpool. So Atkinson went there for 1.7 million, I believe, which is back in the days a lot of money to be shelled out and he was really popular with the fans you know he, he struck up a good partnership with Aldridge uh, the first black player to play for Real Sociedad and obviously uh, that again that in itself is monumental the fact that they were going out with you know two sort of foreign players leading the line at the time was huge for a football club like that he did really well out there. I think some of the, you know, the the problems that dogged him off the off the field were there, unfortunately. But he scored some very very big goals um, for them as well against Barcelona and against Real Madrid. He, he was absolutely outstanding against Barcelona. Uh, tore them apart in that match. And I think if if you look at him, he almost kind of got himself up for those kind of games. And Sociedad, as I say, they've got a really demanding fan base. I think David Moyes, when he had his brief times manager there, was a bit taken aback by just how sort of in your face they are and how demanding they are as a, as a football club. And uh, he kind of embraced it and went with it. But it, it was certainly a, certainly a very sort of interesting turn for him to take in his career. Certainly one you wouldn't have seen coming anyway. So from Spain, he ends up returning to England, where he's reunited with his former manager, Ron Atkinson. Obviously no relation but he went back for a fee of 1.6 million pounds. And in the end, I think it turned out to be a pretty good piece of business for Villa, who, who funny enough, the season beforehand had broken their transfer fee record for Tony Cascarino. And that didn't work out very well. And then they end up getting Atkinson and he kind of replaces them. And that was, that was definitely a transfer that worked out far better. Interestingly enough, he was the mediator for his own transfer to Aston Villa because he spoke both English and Spanish. So it was this strange situation where he was the one, the go-between between the two clubs, and he was the player in question being transferred. So it was a very strange uh, situation altogether. But once he goes to Villa, then they have a remarkable first season where they end up uh, runners-up. And that's really the season that could have been, uh, Peter, isn't it? Definitely. Um, and, you know, I think it's worth highlighting as well. It doesn't sound much like 1.7, 1.6 million. That, that was big money back then when he went to Sociedad for a kind of relatively unknown player and then 1.6 million to come back to England. Like Roy Keane went for 3.75 that same summer. That was the, the British transfer record at the time. Yeah, that, that was that's probably the best team Villa have had since then. You know, they were neck and neck with, with Man United right the way through the season up until the last last kind of month or two. Big Irish contingent, so that I, I remember remember it quite vividly. You know, you had Andy Townsend, Steve Staunton, Ray Houghton, and, and like I said, Dean Saunders. And if you look at the clips, a lot of Atkinson's goals, Dean Saunders is the one playing them through. So they push Man United all the way. You were saying earlier, Steve, that, you know, maybe it wasn't one of the bigger clubs, but we were talking about the goal of the season. But realistically, they, you know, the, the top four hadn't formed. The top six hadn't formed way back then. So Villa were kind of 
one of the top clubs back then. So, you know, this was very much a striker playing for one of the, the best teams in the country. And I think he had 11 goals in 28 games. And he got injured in December, early January. And Ron Atkinson is, is on record as saying he actually thinks that if, if Dalian Atkinson had stayed fit, they would have went and won the league. The whole thing with Dalian Atkinson as well is you, you, you wonder how often he was actually at his absolute peak, you know, and kind of alluded to off the field problems, you know, uh, anything you read about him, supposedly he liked, you know, like fast cars and, and fast women and spent a lot of time missing games or, you know, having mysterious injuries. So I don't think he was actually the consummate professional either. So, um, yeah, you, you just kind of, when you see them flashes of brilliance for, from him and you consider he was playing for a team that were so close to winning the league, you just kind of think if, if he had, a, if somebody or if he had been able to get that extra few percent out of him, you never know, things could have been different for Villa that year, you know. Given the time he was coming through as well, but you, you wonder, especially in this day and age where like, even from a young age, players are conditioned and given diets, nutrition and and they're told how to behave and they're almost kind of conditioned on how to get from A to B as a footballer, aren't they? And you you wonder if somebody had got hold of Atkinson from a young age and he'd been developed in a in a proper academy and had a sort of watchful eye over him whether he could have gone on because obviously certainly back then there wasn't that kind of people like Ron Atkinson were known to kind of almost encourage the um, the drinking culture, Andy, the, the, the bond off the pitch. Yeah, de- definitely. I think we talked about that on the on the Mark Hughes pod before. It, that was that was a that was just a culture. It wasn't necessarily just at Ron Atkinson. I don't think it was a culture no, with, no, within within English football. You know, you were almost ostracised if you weren't up for a few pints from kind of Sunday till Wednesday. You know, it was very old school. And um, I do think you know it, it'd be it'd be doing him a disservice to say, oh, he was constantly missing games because he was out partying and stuff. He did suffer a lot with injuries, and and maybe yeah. you know with with the advances in medical science and things like that the villa was his peak and it was kind of downhill from there and, and there was a lot of injury problems and, and maybe if he was around in the modern day them injuries wouldn't have affected him as badly you know in terms of recovery and things like that so um i think the whole kind of team almost for anybody if you watch the clips or or, or of dalian atkinson it's always like why didn't he achieve more because like i said i have this really clear memory of him being a frightening proposition on his day being as good as anybody on his day and then his career just kind of had that very brief high point and he kind of just faded in into obscurity you know he ticked every box didn't he as well as a footballer like if, if you were to give his attributes to a young lad coming through the pace the power, the composure, you know, it, it's almost like he had everything, but his body was just letting him down constantly. It, it's a real shame because they're all basically what you need to thrive in a modern game, aren't they? Yeah, and if you if you watch some of the finishes, it's like he doesn't even he doesn't pause for a second. No, it's a conviction in his finishing. It's just boom. And I love the way he used it. a lot of his finishes. He absolutely thunderbastards the ball in when there's no need <laughs> for it, but like he doesn't love to see it. Yeah, he got to. <laughs> yeah, if you look at his stats from the those those first three Premier League seasons, you know he scores eleven goals, then eight, and then three. So it's it's not the record of a what you would say a master marksman by any stretch. But at the same time, he never you know in those three seasons he didn't complete a full season. It was twenty eight games, twenty nine games, and then sixteen games. So he never really got a proper run throughout those seasons unfortunately which is a shame given his obvious talents uh, but he did though win the league cup with that team in 93-94 and they kind of got one back over United 
who uh, obviously pipped them to the title in 92, 93. But they got one back over United by beating them at Wembley. But that, that really is a remarkable kind of cup run because they faced uh, Tranmere Rovers in the semi-final and they were losing 3-0 late on and then Dalian Axton gets a late goal. A game that should have been dead and buried, Peter, was all of a sudden very much alive and then they went on and, and made a little bit of history. 3-0 down to, to first division, uh, Tranmere featuring his old Sociedad teammate. John Aldridge and, and an agent, but still brilliant, Pat Nevin. Tram, I remember at the time, Tranmere were, were a really good cup team. And they absolutely, this was a Villa team that, you know, had finished runners-up the season before in the Premier League and had, had a lot of top players in it. And Tranmere absolutely random ragged and um, 3-0 up, like you said, Steve. And then he Atkinson scored a bullet of a volley um, late, late on in the first leg. Back to Villa Park. Atkinson scores again to make it 3-1 late on after a brilliant game. Full of drama. Did Villa go through on penalties. And it goes towards Atkinson! He scores the opener in the final against Manchester United, who actually won the Premier League and FA Cup double. And that game, actually, lads, so many of the players we've already covered come up. Their story, it, it comes up in the final, if you watch the YouTube video. Atkinson puts Villa 1-0 up. Dean Saunders puts Villa 2-0 up. Then Mark Hughes scores. And then when it's 2-1, Atkinson has an open goal. He bangs it in, so he would have scored two in the final. But Andrei Konchelskis, the man we based our first part pot off, handballs it on the line, gets sent <laughs> off. And Dean Saunders, Dean Saunders puts away the puts away the penalty, and that was you know you can see the celebrations. And Atkinson, Dalian Atkinson, is still remembered as a as an absolute legend to Villa fans because you know they know the contribution he made. He scored two goals in in the semi finals, and then again in the final. So he was absolutely crucial to that cup run and. I think a lot of people that played with him have, have said, you know, sometimes he wouldn't look interested or whatever, but you'd never worry about him in a big game. He, he He's the kind of, I know it's cliche, but he's the kind of player who can, in the, in the crucial moments, can kind of grab a game by the scruff of its neck. And like, even if you watch even the, um, the semi-final against Tranmere, he steps back into midfield, wins the ball back, wins a free kick, and then eventually it's put into the box and he scores with a, with a bullet header. So um, that that was probably very much the highlight of his career, his his performances in the semi and the, and the final of the League Cup. At least, you know, for all the talent, at least he'll always have that. You know? Absolutely. That'll be a huge memory that will live on, you know, in, in Aston Villa folklore, I think, for a very, very long time. The commentary of that moment as well is perfect. It's hilarious uh, when Kanchelskis handballs it and the referee goes to give him a, a red card. I mean, we should have mentioned this in the Kanchelskis pod, but we're, we're going to put that right now. We're, and Kevin Keegan was like, oh, come on, referee, you can't do that. Come on, referee. Like, pleading with the referee, like, ah, oh, come on. Like, they're losing the final. You can't do that. It's brilliant. It's so good. And you're just kind of like, have these lads lost their minds? Like, it's a, it's a handball and a red card. Dalian Atkinson off the line. Dalian Atkinson, I think he might have. He's given a penalty. He's given a penalty. He's given a penalty. 
given a penalty. It was handled on the line, and Villa now have a chance now. What will happen? Well, it all happens so quick, Brian. This. Let's just have a look and see what happens to Sealy. Terrific shot. Comes back, I think, to Atkinson, and it's handballed by Anchelskis, I think, on the line. Well, will it be a red card? I hope not. He doesn't have to do this. Just a yellow one, please. No. It's red. It's a red card. Andrei Kanchelskis is off. The two managers confer. The referee bound by laws which maybe he doesn't agree with. And poor Andrei Kanchelskis, the man from the Ukraine, did, I suppose, what any competitor would want to do, try and in any way to stop the ball crossing a line. It is, I think, a ridiculous piece of legislation. But yes. what it does mean is that Villa have a chance to go 3-1 up. Kanchelskis can only watch. If you wrote a script for this game, Brian, you couldn't have written it much better. Dean Saunders looking for his second goal, and Villa's third. It's 3-1 Villa. complaints about the penalty he handled on the line but I think it's such a sad sad way to deal with a competitor like Andrei Kachelskis or anyone for that matter it's a crazy piece of legislation and that's he's basically done a goalkeeper <laughs> save on the line what do you expect like he stopped the ball from going into the net with his hand how can you only give him a yellow card? Like, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, just that that is almost as memorable as anything else in, in that final. Hilarious, but r- truly, it, it, it was a historic hat trick of goals that he scored. Like we said, the first leg, second leg, and then the final. And that kind of right there is his legacy, along with the goal of the season. So, we've kind of touched on a lot of the reasons already. Yeah, why isn't he remembered as fondly as other strikers? Why doesn't he have the same recognition as other top name strikers or uh, of the time? Well, I think he had problems off the pitch, and you know, Pete and I have both alluded to it. You know, there's all kinds of stories of him getting fined when he was at Real Sociedad. Is apparently his his Porsche or his Lamborghini, whatever he was driving, was seen outside the nightclub at 5 a.m. in the morning when he was supposed to be recuperating from an injury and stuff like that. So there's all kinds of stories about him off the pitch and, in, uh, you know, enjoying enjoying the high life, if you like, of what comes with being a footballer in the modern era. Um, so I, I think that kind of painted an image of him. Maybe that sort of added to the whole sort of a lot of players who've been on the fringes of the England squad, I've, I've heard them say the same things, that there's almost like a bit of a click in the England squad. I know James Beattie very famously mentioned that when he was on the cusp of the England squad about a decade later, when he did sort of train with the team, there, there was definitely a click. And whether, you know, you are sort of cold-shouldered. He, he got a cap for the England B team. I, I think it was against Republic of Ireland. And by all accounts, he was outstanding in that game. Again, a guy who sort of thrives on a big occasion. But whether there was a... A general lack of so I fear that there was a lack of consistency with him. He was certainly hindered, hampered by his injuries right the way through his career as well. So I think that definitely doesn't help. I think after he left Aston Villa, he, he hardly really kicked the ball uh, in anger. Really, you know, he, he played about twenty games over a, a two-year spell in Turkey, but he he really struggled to find form and consistency. And at the time when you're up against such a formidable cohort of attacking players like Ferdinand and Shearer, Fowler. 
you know, Sheringham, a shed load of fantastic English players coming through leading the line. England almost won Euro 96 that decade with that the formidable attacking lineup. You, you can almost start to see why he just wasn't getting the luck in. He certainly had the ability, he certainly had the physique and the skill set to make it and to be an international class striker and to get the outward recognition that maybe sort of eludes him. But I think he just ultimately, combination of bad habits off the pitch and his body letting him down kind of hampered him. That, that yeah. England B cap, by the way, against uh, Ireland. Ireland won 4-1. Just want to put that out there. But, when, oh, I, you know, it's funny. I <laughs> Around that time, like, obviously, England, you mentioned something. We haven't even mentioned all the strikers that they had. Yeah. But, England, yeah. you know, England obviously had a, a failed uh, World Cup qualifying campaign for 94. And you're kind of wondering, surely there would have been space for him there. Because, as well, Alan Shearer had a serious injury. Uh, Les Ferdinand who was kind of behind him in the pecking order he had some niggles especially around times of qualifiers uh, but then even then you, you you go past them and then you still got like Teddy Sheringham that you have to deal with so I, I think he was never going to get an England call up really was yeah he? but lads I, I think as well what's worth noting about that cap it's funny you know the, yeah, there was probably like 17 Englishmen on the pitch in the, in the, in the Ireland B against England B probably. game but <laughs> like he, he, he won that cap in 1990 so people knew how good this fella could be and Ron Atkinson had, had spoke several times that you know, he had everything. It's just whether Dalian wanted to show it all the time. So I think he was extremely highly rated. He just never really did it consistently enough. Like when you were describing them stats, Steve, you know, uh, he played where the games and the goals are decreasing. That sounds almost like a player coming to the end of his career. You know, you expect that's Mm. a a 33, 34, 35 year old. This was a lad who was 22, 23, 24. It's crazy, really, you know. But like there was no doubt that people knew how good he was. Alan Hansen used did a feature for the BBC before the 93-94 season and he picked six players to watch out for. He picked Alien Atkinson and rather I think prophetically what Alan Hansen said about him was that Dalian Atkinson has absolutely everything to be one of the best players in English football. I just really hope that in 10 years he doesn't look back and think I didn't make the best of my ability. And that obviously that's how things well not maybe all Dalian Atkinson's fault but I think people were waiting for this fella to take off and it never he never really did take off but I think if he had have got anywhere close to fulfilling his potential he definitely would have been in the mix with all them other top top strikers at the time that's kind of what I said at the start I think maybe if them other top strikers weren't around Either almost English football would have got together and said, "Look, we need to to look after this fella. He's our big hope." But maybe because that there were other players out there, you know, there wasn't that that kind of arm around the shoulder given to him, maybe or whatever, or maybe you know, kind of whispers about his nightlife and all the rest kind of turned a couple of managers off. But it, it's crazy that no one took a chance of him because he was looking for a club after Fenerbahce. He trained with trained with Everton. He, he did kind of made a few appearances with Man City. It's it's I wasn't around, you know, I, I don't know the ins and outs, but just purely. But you would think like there's so many players that like carry on their career based on five or, for five or six seasons, get big contracts. Purely based on like one great goal, do you know what I mean? So Brett, it's, Brett it's a Angel had a, a career for fuck's sake, you know. Why can't Daniel Atkinson have a have a you know Indian summer? It's surprising <laughs> no one took a chance at him, you know. Yeah, uh, I think that's a fair point. Yeah, and as well, just just to talk about his personality because he did seem like great crack. He seemed like a very cheerful person. Uh, he had a great personality, from what I can tell from interviews and the like. And 
Yeah, the, by all accounts, he was a pleasure to play with. Um, there was quite a few people who speak very highly of him. David Hurst at, at Sheffield Wednesday was singing his praises, saying he was um, he was a really great lad, a great character to have in the dressing room. You know, coupled with his ability on the pitch as well. Um, I think John Aldridge always speaks very highly of him from his time at Sociedad, and I think they were probably cut from the same cloth, him and Aldo. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely that. There's definitely a, a, a likable chap um, on 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 and off the pitch. And I think we've we've mentioned it a few times on this pod as well. He's He's the kind of player that you you can relate to um, as well because he's he's obviously like a from a working class family in Telford in Shropshire and he's he's just managed to 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 make it onto the very biggest of stages and clearly looked like a guy who was loving every minute of it as well maybe enjoying it too much but certainly a, certainly a guy people would naturally want to strike to it he's the kind of player as well that it was it, it was all natural almost you know um i don't think daley nackinson was necessarily coached very much um and and like Anne said you'd have to wonder if you know in the modern day you know if a coach could have got even more out of him because so much it, it was it was just a raw natural talent that he had that that was just so clear from anyone to see i think most people that would have saw him in that brief period with villa would always think like how didn't he go on to do more because well it's not a mystery but it, it's it's just it's always tough when you see players like that and you know that they could have been absolutely you know that on their day they're as good as anyone and then they just you know it's kind of a very brief moment at the top and then just into obscurity thereafter you know I think you yeah. like the pint too much as well Lopi because there's, there's a great story when he was at Fenerbahce and I think they they pretty much won the league over at Transonsbor and they, by all accounts I mean I remember Liverpool got them in Europe but it, it's a formidable place to go they, they don't advise away fans to go there very often and I think because they they were such a big team and they won it. The, the police had basically said to them, if you guys go out of the hotel, we can't guarantee your safety. And I think Atkinson basically got the party started in the hotel. And I think uh, 24 hours later, it was still going on. They were still boogieing and partying. I think he had a few uh, a few swift halves to celebrate that night. Like, Yeah, so that's uh, basically, I think, Daniel Atkinson's career right there. Unfortunately, Daniel Atkinson uh, died in 2016 at the age of 48 after being tasered uh, by police near his father's house in in Telford, you know, very near where he grew up, essentially, you know, Atkinson was kind of having a domestic with his his father, and you know, he had been suffering with with health problems as himself. You know, he was on dialysis, and you know, it was a very distressing situation. Police showed up, and and they tasered him, and he unfortunately died in 2019. One police officer was charged with murder in connection with Atkinson's death. And another was charged with assault, occasioning actual bodily harm. Police violence against black people, we, we generally associate as, a, as an American thing. And But it does happen in the UK. And I have to say, I was extremely surprised when it was announced that the police officer had actually been charged with murder. And yeah, because it's often the case that we don't actually even get to the point of charges being pressed in these in these situations. It was um, headline news. It was a really, really high-profile um, story when it came out. Obviously, with it being daily and that concern and being, you know, well known with the Villa fans, and it, it was a big shock. It really was a big shock. And I think, obviously, you can't sort of you know speculate too much on what happened and stuff like that. But the the, the police were were investigated. There was an inquiry done, and obviously there were charges charges made against the police they, they were clearly seen to be far too heavy handed you know you, you can't draw too many conclusions and stuff like that on, on what's gone on on the scene there but 
you know, that there were eyewitness accounts at the time. West Mercia police have confirmed that a taser was used. Paramedics said Dalian Atkinson suffered a heart attack on his way to hospital. Paula Quinn lives in a flat overlooking the street. She told me what she saw happen. Initially I heard a car alarm going off and then I heard shouting. So I was up and about, I looked out the window and immediately I saw two police officers um, shouting to uh, an African gentleman in the street. Um, the gentleman stumbled forward, so he obviously was still moving forward and they tasered him around the midriff. She then went on to make this claim. Police officers that were there, the only ones that were there, sort of scrambled in towards him and started kicking him around the body. That's all I can hear is the boots hitting him. She's the only person we know of to have made these claims. It really was sad. By, by all accounts, he, he was struggling with mental health and a few other issues as well. So just a really, really tragic, untimely end to, to, to a guy you should have been remembered as a, a, a bit of a legend at the Premier League, really. Yeah, and we should stress, of course, there's still a case to answer. So nobody has been found guilty or not guilty at the time we're recording here. But obviously, like you said, it's a very tragic case. So, lads... In terms of the 90s Football Hall of Fame, Dalian Atkinson, where does he fall? Does he, is, is he a, a bona fide Hall of Famer or does he just miss out? Peter, what do you think? Bona fide, I think. Scoring the first Premier League goal of the season in the manner he did alone would, would be enough to get him in there. And I think he had so much 90s nostalgia that we look back brilliantly talented but a bit flawed maybe off the pitch as well it's just so much so much to admire about him you know real kind of off the cuff kind of player and obviously his life ended in tragedy and it was almost it was also a pity that you know we only really got to see him at his best for a couple of years it's it's crazy he, he left the premier league when he was 25 he should have been coming into his into his prime you know um and it's just it's a real pity that that we didn't get to, to see him fulfill what I think was potential that was right up there at the very top end of the game, you know. And what say you? A completely unfulfilled talent and, you know, a player of his time for sure, you know, and it really was, I think, a loss to the game that we, did, we didn't get to see him blossom in the Premier League because, as Pete says, on his day, he was unplayable. That raw pace, that, that lovely close control and real composure in front of goal as well. He, he was just an absolute nightmare to contain. And, you know, we got a sort of fleeting glimpse of what he was capable of in that 92-93 season, especially the the sort of the first half when he was in blistering form. Uh, I think he's definitely in for me. Absolutely. He's got to be in there. Right, well, I think that's settled then. Dalian Atkinson is in the 90s Football Hall of Fame. Right, up next, we've got a quiz. Okay, now it's time for our quiz brought to you by Football Index. You can get a £20 bonus when you sign up for a new account. Just use the offer code FF20. That offer code is FF20. Now, you know the rules. I'll ask the question. One of you will buzz in and you'll have 10 seconds to answer any moment and you're disqualified. It's a quiz master rules. Right. So are we ready, lads? Hi. Yeah, let's go. Question one. Who was the top scorer of the last 90s Premier League season? The 99-2000 season. Was it Ant. Mike? Oh, go ahead, Ant. Uh, I'm just going to go for Alan Shearer. Oh. <laughs> Incorrect. Uh, Peter, who are you going for? 
Um, I will go with Michael Owen. Incorrect. It was uh, Kevin Phillips. Oh, jeez. Of, oh, yeah, of course it was. Oh, jeez. Kevin Phillips, like one of the all time great, like single season kind of yeah, careers. Yeah, yeah. Ended up with, uh, sorry, he actually ended up with the uh, Golden Ball, the European Golden Ball that season, didn't he? He did, yeah. yeah. The last, the last Englishman to win it. Um, I think Kevin Keegan was the one before him. Actually, just a shout out for another pod. I just republished yesterday. We recorded a pod before you were on it as well, and the best individual yeah, seasons ever. And we all nominated five. And I think I nominated Kevin Phillips for the best individual, one of the one of the best five individual seasons in Premier League history. Some achievement with a team who just come up to bang thirty goals. You know, insane, really, when you think back on it. We all thought Timu Buki was going to do that this season. He didn't <laughs> right. have Niall Quinn helping him out. Well, that's true. That's true. He did all the dog work. That's the thing. People people forget. He has, that. Got, he has got Todd Cantwell, though, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, they're yeah. the same person, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Uncanny. Now, question two. Uh, this is multiple choice, by the way. Who were the first team to get relegated from the Premier League? Was it Sheffield United, Oldham Athletic, or Nottingham Forest? Ant. Go ahead, Ant. I'm going to go with Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest is correct. It's 1-0 Ant. Finished bottom, didn't they? They did uh, Brian Clough's final season in management when they went down, yeah. So question three then, 1-0 to Ant so far. How many different Premier League teams did Gary Speed play for in the 90s? Was it two, three or four? Ant. Okay. Go ahead, Ant. Uh, I'm going to go for three. Three is correct. It's 2-0 Ant. Uh, racing into a lead here and 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 peter are you satisfied there's no wikipedia involved there's no uh googling going on here no no i'll give him this one yeah every dog has, <laughs> every, every dog has its day seat all righty all righty grant it's got the peter stamp of approval right so uh on to question four then which of these Again. players didn't did not play alongside alan Shearer in the 90s was it dd hammond kieran dyer or carl court Ant. go ahead Ant. Uh, I'm going to go for Kieran Dyer. Kieran Dyer is incorrect. Peter, ah, can you steal yeah, the point? I'm going to go... Carl Court, was he before Diddy Hammond? Diddy Hammond came to Newcastle. Oh, I'm going to go Diddy Hammond. Oh, Diddy Hammond is incorrect. It's Carl oh, Court. Christ. He did, he, he did actually play alongside Alan Shearer. But not until the 2001 season. So you're out by a year. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Hamman was there for one season with Sheila, wasn't he? If memory serves. The Dog Lee him for Newcastle. Is that right? Yeah, but I thought, I thought Hamman might have came around 2000, though. He signed for Liverpool, and I think. I think we signed him for Newcastle, if memory serves. Yeah, did, did, uh, was it Kenny Dog that signed Hamman for uh, Newcastle? I could be wrong there. Yeah. Next question then It's still 2-0 to Ant Which of these players did not Play in the Premier League In the 90s, Sylvan Distan Or Gareth Barry? Ant Go ahead Ant I'm going for Sylvan Distan That's correct, it's 3-0 to Ant um, <laughs> he, yeah, he didn't move to the Premier League Until the 2000s Whereas Barry played for Villa at the end of uh, the 90s he's a proper Peter... stalwart isn't he Distan isn't, isn't he like top of like all of the the, the appearance charts isn't he this Sylvan Distan he's been a, he, he did the rounds didn't he oh, off the top yeah, of my no, head I don't know but he he did get, have, get a lot of games in there alright 
Yeah, no, he's um, not. He's not. He's not top five, Renton, but he he played a lot of games for sure. Like. So it, it's kind of academic at this point, Peter, because you're th- you're 3-0 down and I do not have four questions for you to get, a, you know, to get a dramatic comeback win. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll ask another question so you can try to get a consolation goal here. Um, maybe if there's a global pandemic, we can we can null and void the quiz. <laughs> oh, may- maybe. Yeah, maybe. Open your voice, Peter. <laughs> it's the only logical thing to do, of course. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Right. Here we go. Which Leeds Academy product scored more Premier League goals for the club in the 90s? Was it Alan Smith or Harry Kuehl? Peter. Go ahead, Peter. I'm going to go with Harry Kuehl. Yeah, Harry right. Kuehl is correct. Yeah, you got Harry one Kuehl. in there for the consolation, so it ends 3-1 to Ant. Um, yeah, Harry Kuehl scored 21 Premier League goals for Leeds in the 90s. Alan Smith scored 11, having broken into the first team two seasons after Kuehl. So... There you go. You put some respectability. You couldn't, you, you know, you couldn't let him get away with a clean sheet there, Peter. At the very least. Yeah, uh, I think I, I changed. Normally, I sit. I decided to stand during this, and I, I won't be standing again next week. I'm going to stay okay, sit. Yeah. Season. Yeah. <laughs> Win or learn, Peter. Basically, you know. That's it. That's it. Steve. I don't lose. I just learn. <laughs> So on that note, that's the end of our podcast. If you like this episode, make sure you're subscribed on your preferred podcasting app so you get it straight to your device every Thursday. And uh, give us a kind review if you'd like on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at FootyFaithful underscore. And uh, give us a like on Facebook. Thanks a lot uh, for joining me today, lads. Thank you, Peter. Cheers, everybody. Enjoyed that. Thank you, Ant. Cheers, lads. Always a pleasure. And make sure to keep a safe distance, everybody. Bye.